0: Hey guys, welcome back to Lords of Order, a DC's Doctor Fate fan podcast. I'm your host Ed Moore. If you want to leave feedback, you can leave comments on the website bigtimenoise.com/slash Doctor Fate. You can email the show at Podcast at gmail.com. You can tweet the show at Teal T E A L Productions. And Lords of Order has Facebook and Google Plus pages where the episodes are posted. You can comment on those. Today's story comes from the 1940 volume of All-Star Comics, issue 15. Cover dated February-March 1943 and named the, uh, the Man Who Created Images. Now, I'll give you guys a second if you want to pick up your All-Star Comics archive number 4 to flip along as I move through the story. All right, otherwise, we have a story that features Hawkman, Dr. Midnight, Starman, Adam, Sandman, Johnny Thunder, Spectre, Dr. Fate, and Wonder Woman. Now, all of the male members are... Part of this tale via personal letters that they wrote to Wonder Woman. And I'll, I'll let you guys know why here in a minute. Uh, so the only until the very end, the only active person in the story is Wonder Woman and all the female counterparts to the Justice Battalion, all of the girlfriends, I think, at this point. I don't believe anybody's married yet. But what happens is... Well, first, the narrator tells us, For the first time in their glorious crime-cracking careers, the members of the Justice Society of America miss a meeting. All of them now. Scattered on their council table are written apologies and excuses to their Secretary Wonder Woman. What is behind this universal desertion? This isn't like the Justice Society. There must be a mighty good reason. Eight mighty good reasons why they didn't come. Let's see what they are after we call the roll and mark each member absent. And the members are, as I indicated a little early. Kind of jumped the gun with that. Sorry. So Wonder Woman comes into the meeting a little bit ahead of time. She's uh, apparently the first one there and looks at the conference table and sees a stack of letters. So she picks one up and opens it and reads it, picks another one up, reads it, picks another one up and reads it, and realizes that all of the members of the Justice Battalion have uh, signed in, called in absent for the meeting. Uh, They're not even going to be available on the bridge. Uh, Sorry, that's a little business telephone humor for those that might get it. Um, She decides that uh, she, she does have an idea. So she runs around and starts rounding up all of the girlfriends of the battalion members that are missing collects them all together there in the meeting room and tells them that having read all of the letters, I think that's the only information that she has gathered, she has put together who is behind the overall plot that the boys each are a victim of in, in their own story as we go through. So what she wants to do is she wants to gather the girlfriends and go get the bad guy themselves to show the boys that, hey, the girls can do it, too. And to help them, which is kind of amusing, show that the girls can do it, too, Wonder Woman hands out costumes that mimic the boyfriends of each of the individual girlfriends. So... uh Sandman's girlfriend gets a uniform like him. Shira gets a hot girl uniform. Uh, Doctor Fate, Spectre, Hourman—they—they all—all the girlfriends get costumes mimicking uh, almost exactly the boyfriends. So, in order to show the boys that the girls can do it, Wonder Woman decides the best way to do it is for all the girls to go dressed as the boyfriends. Yeah. Struck me as kind of odd too, but oh, okay. This this is the golden age. I, I didn't, I wasn't then. Um, I certainly didn't have a girlfriend then, right, Terry? Yeah, okay. So I'm not exactly sure about that train of thought, but okay. Then as they rush out, they go down to a car. They all gather into the car, kind of like clowns, you know. Uh, Wonder Woman gets behind the car and says, Get in the cars, girl. Excuse me. (laughs) That really, the cadence was weird. Get in the cars. Get in the car, girls. I'll push it faster than the motor would make it go. Nobody will see us until we've gotten our man. I guess that's the best way to keep them all together. Uh, Up in the council room... A stray uh, draft of wind blows the letters, scattering them. And as they flip up into the air, that sets the scene for the individual stories because each story begins with us being able to read a portion of the letter as it was written by that male hero to Wonder Woman. Uh, asking for an excused absence from the meeting, basically. And at the end of the story, for the most part, I believe, there was one that you couldn't. uh, You can see the ending of the letter, or perhaps the rest of the letter, just depending on how much they wrote. And you can tell, because sometimes you'll be able to pick up words at the end that were the same as the uh, previous at the beginning of the story. So, in this story, interestingly enough, we have our framing sequences open and close and then in each individual adventure we have the framing sequence of the letter uh, being available for us to read kind of catching us up to at least what the hero is thinking if not to where he is once the story visually starts for us uh, as we we see it progress All right, bear with me as I try to read the uh, Dr. Fate's Letter for you guys. He says, Dear Wonder Woman, Someone has discovered the secret of casting materialized thought images into three-dimensional forms. No, I'm not joking, for this is more deadly dangerous than anything I've ever come across. There's no telling how far the sinister scheme has progressed, or the limits to its mad possibilities, unless checked. Everybody has thoughts of dead friends and relatives, but suppose they actually came to life and talked to you. Suppose they were controlled by evil. Well, hold on tight. They are. I stumbled across this uncanny mystery... When Fan came to see me, you remember Fan Gregory, the trigger man for a dozen big time racketeers. I'll tell you the story just as he told it to me. And then it, uh, it starts for us. We see Fan Gregory being hounded by some ghosts as a preamble. Um, but more importantly, we start with Gregory, or Fan, Gregory's his last name, excuse me, Fan. Um, Living with his girlfriend. Fan is trying to go straight, and his girlfriend is trying to help him. On this particular morning, she tells him that she can hook him up with a job. She works at a bank, and she knows that they are looking for a security guard, and suggests that Fan go talk to the people at the bank and attempt to secure this job. He needs a job. He doesn't have one. So she feels that this will... This will help him go straight. Well, the old gang that Fan used to run with uh, hears about what Fan is doing. At the very least, they know that his girlfriend works at the bank. Uh, So the combination of the two, uh, they decide to go to Fan to try to get in at the bank. And if he's a security guard, of course, it'll be that much easier. Well, he turns them down. He he legitimately is trying to go straight. And what starts is a series of, uh, I guess you could call them hauntings. Uh, everywhere Fan turns, he sees images of men that he has killed in his previous life, we'll say, coming to him, telling him that he needs to do this. He needs to help his old gang break into the bank. In bed... When he's sealing up the vault at the bank, which apparently means he got a job as a security guard there after all. Um, In the bottom of a teacup here or a coffee cup, it looks like maybe one morning he finished his coffee and the images appear at the bottom of the cup talking to him. He slams the cup against the wall and decides that he needs to go get help. So he rushes to uh, Dr. Fate's tower and he's beating on the outside walls screaming, let me in, let me in. Dr. Fate materializes through and asks him, you know, yo, sup? Fan tells him the story. So they decide that um, Dr. Fate, really, is the one who decides that they will try to trick uh, the gang by giving them a false set of uh, numbers for the combination for the big vault. So the next we see... It's night, and some dudes have a flashlight looking at the vault, and they're trying to use the numbers, presumably, that Fan gave them. Uh, again, presumably, these are the bad guys. We don't know for sure. They, it just jumps around to, to get the story out there. So it's not necessarily the most fluid of things. And in the midst of this, uh, first, let's see. First, the scene is lit. And Dr. Fate grabs one of the dudes to start pounding on him. Well, once the pounding commences, the room is dark, and all we see is the flashlight and the men um, in in muted colors, like in shadows. then the next scene, the room is fully lit, and it stays that way for the rest of the tale. Uh, So with that one panel, uh, I'm not sure what happened unless I read it out of order, but I've been doing this a little while, and I don't think I read it out of order. So, I don't know. Something odd there. But Dr. Fate commences to beating on the guys. We've we've got some quips. Um, please let me go. I just remembered I got a nutter appointment. A-N-U-D-D-E-R, a nutter. Um, Dr. Fate says, so have I with whoever is behind all these monkey shines. Good word, monkey shines. You don't hear it nearly enough nowadays. That's a shame. We We should bring that back. All you listeners out there, let's start using monkey shines, um, although I am kind of partial to the word shenanigans also. I think those two are kind of simpatico words. So, uh, As soon as he has subdued them, perhaps right before he finishes punching uh, the last dude out, as it were, the police show up, quickly grab the guys, and take off. Even though Dr. Fate is trying to question the guys because he knows that there's a mastermind behind what they're doing, they're – Bottom feeders, lower level guys They can't have organized all this Dr. Fate wants to know who the top dude is Well, the police rush in and take them Say they're in a hurry, we've got to go You know, yada, yada, yada Dr. Fate is left standing there in the vault Or outside the vault uh, Wondering, uh, that wasn't You know, that didn't feel right so They were they were in too much of a hurry they They always work with me as far as getting information I'll follow them and see what they're up to So he flies along with them And as the squad car is um, driving to whatever its destination is, the scene starts to change. The escort and backup that was with the car disappears. The car changes from a police car to a regular sedan. Dr. Fate realizes finally that these officers were not officers. They were part of whatever it is that Fan has been seeing. um, Because oddly enough, Dr. Fate saw it too, just in a different... uh, a different aspect, a different way. So he dives down to the car, rips the door off, uh, first bangs the head of the two thugs in there together, meaning that even the officers were um, illusions. So the only real people are the two thugs. Bangs their heads together. He Sends one up through the roof of the car till he gets stuck half in and half out of the car. Grabs the other guy and is about to start beating on him, but he says, Okay, I'll talk. It's the guy what calls himself the brainwave. He can send pictures by mental telepathy or something. He scared Fan Gregory by sending him pictures of some guy's fan once rubbed out. So Fate takes the two men, drops them off with. Um, let's see, Casey is the officer's name. And then Fate heads to Sharktooth Bay, which is where Brainwave apparently is set up. And as he's leaving, Casey says, leave him to me, Begory. Uh, so, I guess between Casey and Bagori we're to assume that the policeman is Irish, Um, I suppose. I don't know. I should have looked up Begory, but I think that's an Irish slangy kind of term that is used a lot. Uh, Fate, in the next to last panel, is seen running through the air, as I am often a fan of pointing out. And the final is the last part of his letter that says... So I'm out to see this Brainwave whose powers are so tremendous he could easily rule the world with gigantic armies created from his own brain unless I stop him. Urgently yours, Dr. Fate. So that was the last of the individual stories. We now get to the ending frame section where we see Brainwave holding a a figure of Atom Smasher. And he's saying, eight swaggering heroes, eight men keen-witted, muscular, and daring, and arrayed on a table in front of him are the other seven uh, Justice Battalion uh, men uh, as dolls laying here on the table. The narrator tells us, in his gray stone tower that stands stark and tall above the jagged rocks of Sharktooth Bay, The brainwave sits alone, his dark eyes brooding at the eight grim forms that have become a threat to his very life. I, this mental marvel of the ages, whose brain is so powerful, so well trained, that it can project its mental images along the slender beams of thought waves, to take form as three-dimensional images feels the cold fingers of fear. Brainwave sets down... um, a Starman figure, which somewhere he picked up because he was holding Atom Smasher up here above it, and he picks up a photograph, a framed photograph, and is looking at it, and he says, "That boy was me thirty years ago," and it's a picture of a, a young man leaning against a tree, reading a book with a fishing pole, the line in a nearby uh, creek pond, probably a, a creek of some sort. And then we go back to this young boy sitting underneath this tree, fishing, thinking, and we see that as he's thinking, he's thinking about things that, uh, fanciful things that young boys are apt to think about, particularly at this time, mainly movie and literature things. Well, he's thinking about something literature. He's thinking about how cool it would be to be Lancelot, and Lancelot materializes and starts talking to him, and they have a back-and-forth little conversation, and The boy realizes during this conversation that he is the one doing this. So now we see a series of events uh, as the years roll on. Henry King attends college specializing in the workings of the human mind. And we see several illustrated frames here of him in college. Finally, he says his last frame while he's in college. It's done. I can create anything I can think of and control it. And then we zoom up to now in the next panel. And we see Brainwave considering um, his his plight as he is standing before a large window in his dark tower, staring out into the dark night. Not Batman, time of day, dark night. Um, With a full moon behind the castle, Wonder Woman and the girlfriends of the Justice Battalion roll up in the car. Remember, Wonder Woman's pushing the car, so it it approaches silently. Brainwave never knows. As they start to storm, as it were, the castle, they are met by Hawkman, who asks them what they're doing, why they're here. It's kind of a big deal because Hawkman is the current chairman. Well, we see quickly that Brainwave is behind the image of Hawkman, Hawkman grabs Wonder Woman by the wrist and and leads her on, you know, come on, you want to meet Brainwave so bad, let's go. Then we see several panels of all of the girlfriends of the Justice Battalion being led to a prison cell by their Justice Battalion boyfriends. So we see duplicates, right, a male and female in the exact same costume of Sandman, Adam Smasher. We see... Uh, the specter carrying uh, whatever her name is, Cutesy Tootsy, whatever the girl's name is, that's the adopted daughter of Johnny Thunder. I forget her name. It's something cutesy like that. Um, What stood out to me, though, is an image here of our man uh, snapping manacles on Wonder Woman or uh, perhaps uh, handcuffs, something of that nature. And Wonder Woman says... What's the idea, Dr. Midnight? I said our man. I'm sorry, it's Dr. Midnight. What's the idea, Dr. Midnight? I'm helpless if a man chains my wrists, and you've just chained them. Now, that would be very interesting if I hadn't previously been exposed to some Golden Age Wonder Woman, particularly very beginnings of Wonder Woman in the Golden Age, to know that that was indeed the case with the original idea from... um, Marston in creating Wonder Woman, being a um, a, a fan, uh, I guess, perhaps a, a, an advocate of uh, of bondage. Uh, there were a lot of bondage issues that were tied into the origin of Wonder Woman that nowadays would not remotely wash in being uh, part of a character's makeup. Back then, though, it, you know, uh, this was created in the world in which it was created. And that world comes through in Begory, um, things like that, um, racial slurs and and racial um, objectifications that occur. Here, Wonder Woman uh, is very much subservient, uh, being a female. Um, and to signify that, all you have to do to get her utter subservience is to chain her wrists together, manacle her wrists, um, something like that. So that's, that's an interesting aspect of Wonder Woman that you certainly don't see played on now, uh, I think, in my recollection ever. Um, I've been reading, keeping up with the past couple iterations of Wonder Woman. I'm a little behind the current one. And that's not... Yeah, no, it's not done now. So... So every all the, all the female—all the girlfriends, I should say, are uh, in a cage here together, and Brainwave comes to visit them. And they exchange pleasantries, of course. Wonder Woman uh, is the leader of this group, so she is speaking for the group. Brainwave is speaking for Brainwave, and they go back and forth a little bit. Outside, though, we see the male members of the Justice Battalion have all arrived and are charging the castle tower fortress— Hideout, whatever you want to call it, all at the same time. Um, Hawkman and Spectre break in through a window to the room where Brainwave is. Adam Smasher, Starman, and Sandman break through a doorway into where uh, the same room, opposite sides of the room, right, trying to pin him. The cell where the women are, though, is rigged with a booby—not well, with a booby trap, but with a. Uh, a gas trap and brainwave triggers it slowly but surely they start to suffocate the women and ultimately wonder woman pushes a huge section of the wall saying i'm beginning to work up a beautiful mad at that brainwave fellow interesting verbiage in my mind but okay uh so the women get out so now you know Brainwave is surrounded by all the men on two sides, the women on a third side, and the only side he has to escape is the window in the room. So he rushes out the window, screaming, stay away, stay away, help me, I'm falling, and as he's falling ah, down a, a wall, which... Oddly enough, here is drawn like a, a tower, like he's fall on, fallen off the top of a tower. But in previous illustrations, it was, a, it was a wall, like a big castle wall with a big window. So I don't know which it is at this point. Anyways, as he's falling, Hawkman and uh, Shara, his girlfriend, dressed as Hawk Girl, but not Hawk Girl because I don't think Hawk Girl exists yet. So Hawkman and his girlfriend watch, uh, talk back and forth as dude falls to his death. Um, interesting they should pick two of the heroes that can fly, or or one of the heroes, I should say. I'm sorry. One of the heroes that can fly uh, as being just an observer to this man plummeting to his death. So, you know, I guess, I, I, I don't know. And the final panel is a humor panel. Uh, yeah, and I still think so, just on general principles, she says, referring to... Um, Shiera is saying in the previous panel, you're telling us, wow, you'll never know what we girls were thinking about you boys a little while ago. Um, And Johnny here says, now Peachy Pet. So so I guess her name is Peachy, and Pet must be his pet name for her. So Peachy Pet, uh, like I said, it was some goofy name when I referred to her before. I've never read Johnny Thunder's Adventures, and I don't think I will, probably. They're a little too... Um, humorous golden agey for me, if that makes any sense. I, I'm not not too big on that kind of humor. I, I just I don't find it funny. So anyways, so there we go. Oh, I forgot some creator information here for you guys. Sorry about that. The um, framing sequences of the Wonder Woman letters girlfriends getting the costumes and then the everyone congregating at brainwave section of the stories was scripted by gardner fox penciled by joe gallagher and inked by joe gallagher the dr fate individual story was scripted by gardner fox penciled and inked by howard sherman and then uh, for those of you that This may be your first episode. Each of the other male heroes had an individual story of some four to six pages. So that's what they do opening sequence, individual missions by each of the heroes, closing sequence that ties everything together, including the story itself. So that's everything from All Star Comics, issue 15, guys, that, uh, well, that I'm interested in, anyways. Next time out will be the Dr. Fate story from More Fun Comics, issue 89, as uh, I will be reading it in the Archive Editions, The Golden Age, Dr. Fate, Archives, Volume 1. For those of you that may want to read along, that is approximately page 310, I believe, where that story starts. We'll pick up there next time with episode 93 of Lords of Order. Thanks for listening. Lords of Order is a teal production, and as such is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, non-derivative, 3.0 unported license.